Hello and welcome everyone. Today we are joined by three ASX gold companies. Uh, we're talking to uh, Dave Reeves, who's the MD of Calidus Resources. They're in construction with their Warawuna Gold Project in Western Australia. We've got uh, Milan Jerkovic, Executive Chair at Waluna Mining, a producer and looking to expand, having just raised a little bit of money this week. Uh, we'll hear a little bit about that in a second. And Mike Jones, MD at Impact Minerals. They are a prospect generator and developer in Western Australia and New South Wales. Hello, gentlemen. How how are you? Yeah, well, thanks. Good, good, good. Okay, today, today, what I thought we'd do, guys, is just look at lessons learned from 2021 and a little bit of 2020 in, in the sense that COVID brought along a few uh, additional challenges. Mining's tough, but it was a little bit tougher in, uh, during COVID and trying to understand some of the lessons learned um, and how you overcame those and perhaps how you're setting yourselves up for 2022. I think that's what your investors want to hear. So, um, Mike, if I can just maybe get, uh, start with you, maybe get each of you just to give us that 30 seconds introduction to the companies and I'll pick it up from there. I, sorry, actually, let me start with David, please. Uh, Dave Reeves, MD, Calibus Resources. We're developing a 1.7 million ounce Warrawina Gold Project in the Pilbara of Western Australia. On track for first gold in the June quarter of 2022. And Mike. That's great. So uh, Mike Jones, Managing Director of Impact Minerals. We're a early stage explorer and project generator, and we're about to commence uh, drilling about doing a gold project between now and Christmas and uh, hoping to deliver an early Christmas present for shareholders and gearing up for a big 2022. And Milan, over to you. Uh, Milan Jerkovic, Executive Chairman, Wooluna Mining. We're a modest producer in the middle of Western Australia with uh, uh, progress now planned where we're expanding production to about 120,000 ounces over the next six months with a view to go beyond that successful to... Uh, uh, depending on the successful outcome of a feasibility study. Fantastic, Gen gentlemen. Thanks so much. Like, I guess the basic premise of this was when we looked at the way the markets were reacting to your stories, you're all busy doing things. You're all busy being busy, but the equities didn't see that love and attention. Um, and, you know, precious metals was, in terms of the equities, was under pressure, but the, the, the price of gold was pretty okay. Thank you very much. Um, so, what do, you, what do you put that down to, um, Dave? Look, I think you know, gold had a very good run in, in 2020 um, with the pandemic and everything else. Uh, I think recent times, last six, nine months, you've seen tensions switch to, to battery metals. Of recent times, the gold price softened a bit. Investors have a, a short attention span at the moment, it seems. Um, lots of volatility, both in how we operate in an environment and in metal prices, um, share prices, etc. Um, gold's had a bit of a, a resurgence in the last month or two, and we're starting to see uh, quite a bit of interest come back into gold as we head into these next uncertain times. Well, you say you say that. So I'm gonna, Dave, I'm going to stay with you, actually. You say short attention span. Is it short attention span or the gold companies weren't doing enough to tell their story better in, in the context of what was going on with Bitcoin, what was going on with, I don't know, Tesla or battery metals? Oh, look, I think it's, uh, if you have a look at the, the trading in any one of our stocks, I imagine it's the same for all of us, is, you know, from a percentage turnover on a monthly basis, it's sort of 3 to 5% of the, the share register um, is all that gets turned over. And, um, you know, so you're talking, you've got some very long stable shareholders, but your price is driven by a, a smaller minority that are, um, you know, more short term. Uh, and, and that tends to drive you. And there, 
you know, they tend to be be it day traders or you know, looking for a quick a quick uptick. Um, you know, you do see your price driven more by those than people who just sit and hold because they don't affect the price. Right. And, w- and what about for you, Milan? I mean, what, what are you saying? Uh, the, the liquidity-driven increase in equity markets around the world hasn't favoured gold. And uh, we're sort of peak expansion monetary supply. <coughs> Real businesses with supply lines and issues are undervalued compared to tech and growth. Now, that's changing. You can see there's an inflection point. The reason we're seeing so much volatility at the moment is because there is, it's directionless right now. We don't know which way the money will go, and it's all about money flows, essentially. Uh, Dave's right. Share prices are driven by short-term uh, traders rather than companies like ours. We, our, our register is very deep to try and get a mine built in the next three years, so it doesn't actually trade. Uh, it's only the, the short-term money. The short-term money is more likely still to invest in growth stocks um, and, and not real businesses or, or gold as a defence because people don't see that need right now, although I think the world's changing. And what about you, Mike? Because as a project generator, you need to do something meaningful to kind of see that movement or interest in, in your stock, don't you? Because it's different compared to a producer, say. Yeah, that's right. And, um, and look, the, the way we do that is just to do our best to give as much news flow as possible. But, you know, I agree with, uh, you know, with David. Uh, yeah, the majority of the, the share trading and the trading in our stock, you know, comes from short-term you know, speculators and, uh, and, you know, traders that sort of get in one day and out the next or, you know, the news wasn't what they were hoping for and so they move on to the next hot thing. And that's understandable in the space that we're, uh, you know, that we're in. But, you know, fortunately, we've, you know, the top 10, 20 shareholders, you know, always you know, been always been, you know, pretty stable. So um, it is that short-term churning. And that's very much directed by the market sentiment on the day. And, uh, you know, impacts more of a multi-commodity explorer, as we've discussed. But, um, you know, we're not perhaps as, a, we're not as affected by things like a six-month downturn in the gold price. But um, that's certainly affected the sentiment across the whole of the gold sector, uh, very much driven by that, uh, you know, the, the gold price. But in the context of what's happened in the last, um, you know, 20 years, um, you know, gold's up nearly tenfold. And, um, and, and so the long-term trend is still up. So um, long-term investors are going to be rewarded, I think, still. So there is a case of they'll be back. Are you, well, and part of my question was, you know, is there anything with gold producers, gold companies, gold um, uh, generators could have done to tell the story better or is there just too many moving parts and you're just going to resign to, well, the market will, will move in ebbs and flows and you just deal with it? Look, uh, yeah, the... Um, is certainly driven by the short-term traders and market sentiment driven by the metal price, um, in particular gold. You know, if gold's up, you know, 50 bucks or down 50 bucks, all the major gold shares just take the hit, the hit or the, um, you know, or the jump on the day. So um, that's uh, that's where it all comes from. Dave, what do you think? Uh, no, look, I, I agree. Um, we obviously all can't tell our stories and keep shareholders informed as much as possible. Um, and, you know, the more you inform shareholders, the better. Um, they can make informed decisions. But at the end of the day, sentiment is a massive part of where share prices head. And um, sentiment is something that, uh, as much as I'd love it to, I don't think any of the three of us can control on the market. 
No, I don't, I don't think you can. And the, like I said, that's why I mentioned it's a lot of moving parts because a lot of gold companies and, you know, you, you all act independently as, as you should. You look after your own shareholders. But I, I just wondered if you'd sort of seen and sensed, as, as Mike says, in the last 20 years, it's behaved a certain way. Now, with social media coming through, we've seen various squeezes happening. We've seen a lot of a, a move towards sentiment uh, and influence of, you know, a number of, you know, limited parties. You don't necessarily worry about things like fundamentals or if the gold price does move, you know, 25 bucks, 50 bucks. It's ex more extreme, it feels. Well, well, does it feel extreme to you, Dave? Uh, look, without a doubt, the rise of social media, um, investor platforms, chat rooms, uh, in particular on smaller companies can have a massive effect. It's a little harder on, on the bigger companies, but it is still out there. Uh, you know, we've had a couple of nice upticks this year from research reports or, or mentions from groups that I've never heard of that, you know, previously that have done their research, you know, said some good things about us and, you know, all the social media and everything else we've done as a company pales into insignificance versus the traction that some of those um, forums got. So, yeah, without a doubt, uh, marketing, where you market is important. Um, but at the same time, you know, there are other factors out there. Uh, investor groups, um, various investors who have huge followings that, that can influence your price a lot more than you can as a company. And, but does that feel real to you in the sense that it's nice when they write nice things, but when they write not so nice things based on not a, not a lot of data, you get ne negatively impact. And that, and that happens too. I mean, how do you feel about that? Yeah, look, I mean, I think that is, it is what it is. You know, you, you have to take the ups and the downs. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, um, it's an area where certainly the regulator here is getting more involved. Uh, you've got ASIC getting onto these forums and reminding people of, uh, of the, the various financial regulations that they should be following so they are trying to crack down on uh on false be it positive or negative news um so you know the regulator i think is very aware of it as as we as we all are and as a company all that we can do is deliver on what we say we're going to do and then the proofs in the pudding and i think that's you know always been there and always will be there is do what you say and, and people will will believe in you. Um, and if you don't do that, then, you know, you should be open to, to taking fire. I mean, I'm how do you feel about that? Obviously, you know, maybe it's the job of ASICs to monitor uh, and measure this, but, you know, when people talk about your company negative, negatively, do you just put your head down and say, look, we'll get on with what we can control and that, let that play out? Or does it is it really damaging? Look, um, you, you can only deal with the things you can't control the you still need to as Dave said market your company you've got to be in front of shareholders you've got to be in front of the people that are relevant um just going back to your when you started the conversation I'll go back to this quickly on Bitcoin the one thing that uh, there is no need to explain or people can Bitcoin is 100% correlated to the equity markets there is no other it doesn't have any other special factor in investment if you go and look at the correlation over the last five years um, whereas gold is a uh, commodities cycle is commodity price correlated 
and also defensive goal. If you look at a percentage of gold in any investment, when the world goes into a fear and defensive mode, gold will have a much bigger part of a portfolio. The private money I'm dealing with, and I'm in a company, as you know, that's had a difficult background that I've had to clean up. So trying to get the message away from people that actually know the answers already without listening to the solution or what the problem is, is is, is all part of the messaging, right? Uh, we are still trying to move in that space, but the only way you can do that is to deliver on your results. Uh, profits and cash flows will eventually overtake noise uh, and the scale and leverage to, to, to a commodity cycle and, and the quality of the asset if you can reveal it, but you need money and following. That's why I've had, I've had to go into deeper pools of money to build the product before I'm worried too much about the sideshow, which is the trading around the edges, uh, which is important and helpful, but it's also a distraction that we can't afford because it's a large, as you can see, we've invested a lot of money in the last 18 months to actually prove to the market and our shareholders, and our shareholders are convinced, by the way, we bought in some pretty deep money even now. We've bought in two new ones. The 10th largest gold company in the world has joined us on the register. One of the largest investors in the gold industry in Europe has come in privately because we've convinced them that, in fact, the scale and depth of the asset we're dealing with and where it's going to go in the next phase in terms of cash flow multiples is worth investing in that risk. And that it's rather, it's, it's probably dearest now relative to 18 months ago. However, clearly our share price hasn't shown that. We've, we've traded sideways with all the extra money and investment we put in there. That disappoints shareholders, obviously, along the way. But you've got to try and hold them together to stay the course. The other side, when you get to the other side, it, the, the, the response is actually pretty quick. I've been there before. The, you know, when the product is clear and clean and delivered, the market will look after itself in a lot of ways. I, th I think that I think that's right. But there's also a hump to overcome. If there's like false narrative in the market or a narrative which is is, is less than accurate, which would be nice. Um, shorting happens. Naked shorting happens, and that is a real and that takes time to. Well, because most CEOs say to me, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. All I can do is get on with the day job and hopefully create some um, revenue or create some stories which will eventually get rid of it. But it's a real hump to get over. I mean, do you think shorting is part of the market? You've got to suck it up. and Or do you do what you, you were talking about, what I'm assuming you're talking about, is say, well, look, if, if I can go and get some deep capital pulls in here, it might scare them off. How do you play that? Yeah, well, longs always beat shorts if they're long enough to support you. That's a fact of the markets. Uh, and if you've got deeper pools of support that's long versus the short-term trading, we're not affected by shorts because we don't have any short-term trading. It's actually it's very small. In fact, our problem is that none of our shareholders are selling, to be quite honest, rather than the because they're, they're holding on for a completion that's not done yet. We're still trying to get to an end product. Uh, but, yeah, shorting is a, is a factor in some companies, a big factor. Uh, but, you know, long funds that the lend stock for shorting are partly responsible for that for that product. Right. Yeah, I think that I think that's a conversation that will run and run. Mike, I mean, for, for you guys, because you're sort of operating at the well, you're, you're the genesis of, of all of these projects. You know, at some, at some point, obviously, Dave and Melon's projects were where, where you are now. Um, does social media have a much bigger impact for you? Because it doesn't take much to move the needle. It doesn't take as many uh, positive messages in the market to, to work for you. Or are you, is, is that not true? Yeah, no, they're very true. So, um, I mean, one of my main sort of target markets for my announcements are, are the handful of people on hot copper who actually know what they're talking about. 
uh, you know, many of them don't. But um, and they're quite happy to uh, to what, say that. What, and, and what's that ratio? <laughs> I'm interested. <laughs> yeah, a handful. Yeah, okay. and uh, and we've got some very good support. And so, and and because then the, the some of the, the strong scientific aspects of our story then actually get repeated and told strongly to the relatively less educated or informed uh, groups, uh, you know, on there. But, uh, I mean, I don't go to hot copper. Um, my guys sort of monitor it, obviously, just to see there because it's never good for your mental health uh, in, a, in an exploration uh, company. And uh, I think uh, during 2020, um, you know, I varied from Dr. Doolittle, which was a, an excellent uh, an excellent uh, metaphor. And so I was walking up and down the corridor here singing, you know, he walks with the animals and talks to the animals, through to Master Chess Player as uh, one of my deals sort of came through. So, you know, eventually you just get this sort of, it's just a wave of noise and, and, and rubbish that goes around, but you have to be very targeted in terms of who you're speaking to there, uh, ignore everything else, but knowing that it is a very strong force. Uh, but like Milan says, and, uh, and David, and same way is that in the end it's only results that speak for themselves you know everything else is just kind of noise and so you just have to put it behind you and even though we're a completely different space to the other two and just do the drill programs and, and do what you do yeah I, th- I think it's good I, I, ignore the hype ignore the noise get on do what you do well here's the bit i wanted to talk about which is really around uh western australia uh you're all in western australia um at, at points uh during this covid I thought Western Australia was going to separate from the mainland because you guys are isolated. Which <laughs> might is, still do that. Which is, it's a good thing. And it's also, it uh, makes it difficult as well because obviously you've got to get people in there, workers, equipment, service providers, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, Dave, what, what are the, what are the, um, I guess, challenges that you've seen this year? Cause you're in, you're in construction up at Warrawinna now and you know, you've got to, you've got to get things moving. Has it slowed things down? Oh, look, it's been certainly the last six months in particular has become a lot more challenging. Um, there is a dire labour shortage in WA mining in particular. The construction not so bad at the moment, but there is a lot of construction projects underway, be it in civil around Perth or new gas projects, you know, which soak up a lot of people. Um, so from a personnel point of view, yeah, we're, we're seeing issues across the board in mining and seeing a lot of companies talking about that operators and, and just you know, getting enough bums in the seats to, to operate machines. And, you know, there is a hope when the border eventually opens, you know, hopefully let's call it February next year. 2030. We'll be up. <laughs> Everything crossed. Yeah. But, um, that, you know, that will help relieve some of the pressure. But in the meantime, you know, talk about gold, you know, we should be talking inflation and you know, we're not seeing, I think Reserve Bank Governor's talking, oh, we're seeing minor inflation and, you know, it's just going to be transitory and um, all the rest. We've seen massive jumps in labour rates, probably from our fees up 15 to 20%. Um, concrete from the start of our build uh, to where we are now is probably up 75%. Polypipe is up. 35% steel balls is up 35%, cyanide up 10%. Now, some of these are, are blips that will come back down. It's, it's all to do with supply shortage and a lot of that shipping delays and all those things you hear about as well. And we expect you know some of those inputs to come back down to more normal levels in the next six to 12 months. Um, but you are seeing you know, massive price pressure because of shortages. Um, just formwork, wood for formwork, the guys doing our civil works 
have just finished ours, we're saying there is none left. Um, we can't get our hands on some for the next job. So, you know, there's there's been a lot of pressures in that regards. And, and certainly I think you know, Milan's finishing off his build as well. I, I wouldn't want to be starting one at the moment. I think that would be very tough. Very tough. But what do you do about that? You, you can obviously tie in some of the costs at the start, but not everything by the sounds sounds of it. So infl- inflation is here to stay. Whether you think it's transitory or not is 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 a call that you're going to have to make as, as a company. So what have you been able to do to mitigate it? Yeah, so from a construction point of view, we had a lump sum turnkey price for our plant and GR Engineering, our contractors for, you know, forward ordered a lot of the mechanical steel and whatnot and locked in that, so they weren't affected and nor were we. Um, we've locked in a seven-year gas supply contract before the LNG price went crazy. Um, so that's for our power station and gives us that you know, power price a fixed power price over seven years. Um, but there are certain things that, be it labour or be it other things, that just rise and falls with the business that, that you need to absorb. Yeah, like, you know, just put it in consumer terms, you know, we, we, we've seen that with, you know, hand sanitizer and food and toilet paper going going up. But you expect it to come come back down is, is what I'm hearing from you. Um, Mike, down at your end, it's, it's, got to be, it's all about the people. How, how do you spend your way through this, or do you just hunker down? How do you, how's a project generator come at it? <laughs> yeah, so so a couple of things. Um, certainly, access to drill rigs, obviously, you know, is uh, everyone's moaning about that. We've uh, we've got lucky with our upcoming um, project. Um, we had a you know, personal friend that owns the, a drilling company, so we've been able to uh, to get one at uh, relatively short notice. But yeah, now accessing caravans, um, you know, four wheel drives. My guys are out at the moment clearing. You know, there's no cars to hire in for, in Kalgoorlie. You can charge whatever you want for a four wheel drive in, in Cal. They have to buy, hire one in Perth and you know drive up there. So you know, just adds time and money to uh, you know to everything that you're doing. So you know, inflation is uh, is certainly uh, here in that respect. And I, I don't know how transitory it's going to be. Um, so, um, and in terms of uh, labour hire, yeah, trying to get experienced geologists. Um, I've you know, been looking for a senior geologist, sort of 15 years experience, interviewed probably three or four people. The minute their, um, you know, their employers get wind that they're going, then the salaries, you know, increase. And, uh, you know, way beyond what we can afford because uh, I'm trying to attract, you know, people out of larger companies and, uh, you know, it's not as secure, et cetera. So yeah, we're seeing. Uh, you know, so the three of us that are doing that are here are still <laughs> working even harder. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting uh, year next year for sure. And what and so Milan, yeah, obviously you've got a little bit of production going on, and you're, you're looking. You've raised a, a big chunk of money this week to presumably get you know get things moving and and, sort of, and drive um, the, the production up. But you've also got to you've also got to deal with what what the way you worked before COVID, which was a sort of just-in-time strategy, I think it's fairly standard in the industry, through to now where you need backup infantry on-site, don't you? So, look, addressing those points, look, I've just come through the US. In fact, I'm based in Knightsbridge temporarily at the moment because one of the issues is that, look, Australia is a net importer of capital. Our company is actually owned by mostly European, uh, German and North American shareholders, Um so for me to do what I just did, I had to be here uh, where the capital is because I couldn't bring the capital to where it wants to look and see, which was a task in its own right, convincing people to invest in something they can't send people to look at and walk. Uh, we're a net importer of skilled labour. You know, we're probably at the moment, after these 18 months, somewhere around, in my estimates, about half a million people behind zero base of skilled labour required just to maintain 
rather than grow. So one of the things you don't want to do as a company where we came from is, is go back to just in, in time. However, I can tell you right now, the thing I'm hearing all over the world is that building something real, maintaining supply chains, holding a business together is getting harder and harder. Now, if it is harder and it's going to be harder to make a decision to bring volume into the market when, when prices are rising, then clearly commodity prices probably are going to stay reasonably high in the short term. Inflation will hit. Uh, bringing capital projects to a point of decision in this environment, particularly large ones, is going to be very, very challenging, unlikely to happen. So, so big decisions are going to have to wait because you can't go and lock in a contract for a three-year construction project at the peak of a cycle. That would be just reckless. In, 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 and particularly big projects. Uh, so they're, they're the challenges. However, having said that, they're the things that differentiate, if you like, the real companies from the, from the pretenders. Uh, you can't blame the environment for not being able to grow and execute your plan. You might have to change your plan. You might have to slide and, and move when you make decisions and how you, how you execute rather than saying, I've decided, I've, I've done a feasibility study, it's economic, I'm gonna start now, right? That, that could be a deadly type situation for shareholders if you choose the wrong time for the wrong reason, okay? But there is no doubt that we're in for a fairly tough period. And I could just recently, I've been talking to various people. There's more people with funds interested in investing and getting offtake or getting some benefit or an EFT. Not many people want to build businesses. It's becoming harder and harder to build and operate real businesses. Now, that's, that's a positive for a company like Dave and us, where in fact we're at the point where we're turning all that effort into reality where the business is built and then we can incrementally expand on it. If you look at government approvals all over the world, even WA, I mean, it's going to get a lot harder to, if you're a new project or even incumbent to get an approval for anything because the bureaucrats are slower. Things have just ground to a halt. Things are getting, taking longer, Okay. So we're, look, I feel good because I think having gone early and got to a point where our cash flow is a commercial production within six months, and we can then, you know, we would, we would like to get to learn to turn 50,000 ounces a year production, which was going to, you know, that's the next challenge once we know how we go about it. But the, the beauty for us is we have deep enough pockets around us. Where we don't have to rush into it to the next stage. We can wait. And, and that some of these things might need to be waited on. Yeah, well, I, I want to come back to that, but first, you, you reminded me. Um, Mike, for someone like you, how does this affect your opportunities? I know you've got something away recently, but how, was, was it made harder by the fact that people are looking at this environment going, I'm not quite sure you know, what we should be doing with our money because I'm not quite sure what the future looks like. So these kind of farming opportunities that you know, I, I guess would be, the conversations might have been a little bit easier pre-COVID, have you been held back in any way or, uh, or conversations slowed down in any way? Not really. And, and part of the reason for that is that, uh, you know, with the exception of the first sort of, say, six months of COVID, um, you know, since then we've been in boom times. I mean, we're in boom time now and um, it's, it's unbelievable. And so a lot of people have made a lot of money out of, uh, you know, shares um, in the last uh, 12, 18 months. And, uh, and so as a result, there, there's money... You know, left, right, and centre. So there's no there's no shortage of funds to um, you know for everything from speculative drilling like ours 
through to the production that uh, you know that Milan has. And, and just out of interest, we do have the same common shareholder, major shareholder, and uh, so uh, which is uh, which is good for us. And uh, they've also they've been very supportive. So yeah, so look, um, really, uh, it, it's it's the best of times right now. Right. Okay. And Milan, if I, I'll just come back to you on, on this on this money question because. You know, whilst you know, whilst what you say is is true, the, the the market is needing to evolve in terms of the way that it finances projects. I, I said to someone the other day. I think the most exciting thing that's happened in financing uh, world um, in terms of in, innovation is probably royalties and streaming, which has been around for a long time now. Do you think that with the kind of ESG conversations that are now prevalent in, in, in every conversation, the zero carbon initiatives which are being demanded? By shareholders, large and small, we're going to start to see either cheaper money from funds, if you meet those criteria, or different types of fund structures moving forward. Because you talked about large capital pools, was that conventional or or, or not? No, look, that that already exists to some point. There's differentiation between international funds who will measure you on ESG carbon footprints in the in the in the sort of institutional space, not necessarily as much in the private space. On the debt side, yeah, I mean, on the debt side, if you can show particularly deep, long green power that goes out 20 years, you can finance it over 20 years, which was unheard of a few years ago. So those products, and they're being peddled now, in terms of availability of money, uh, Mike is right. There's been a lot of equity, but there is also lots of pools of money that's, that's made money in growth and equity stocks that's piled into private and family offices with streaming or royalties. There's more than I've ever seen coming through North America and here in London now. There is many, many more products I've ever seen. I, I think there's probably more money than product, to be quite honest, uh, for that type of investment. It's not a favourite investment that I like because you're, if you're a public company in particular, not a private company, really standard equity and debt is what people on the market understands. And if you can fund yourself, now you can't always do that, but if you can fund yourself by those means, you'd probably best to stick to that anyway. Right. What about you, Dave? What do you say? Yeah, look, very much so. I agree with Milan on, uh, you know, if you can do debt and equity, it's well understood. And that's why, you know, in some ways, uh, I wouldn't say I don't care about our share price, but we don't need to raise money at the moment. Um, we're going to get into production, all being equal, make good cash flow, and therefore, you know, quite often you're most worried about your share price if you've got a raising coming up because it's the amount of dilution, et cetera. And that's why, you know, this noise and other things, you know, I'm quite often not overly concerned, even though I'm a large shareholder in, in Calidus itself, I'm not overly concerned because I see that in the longer term, as we keep going back to, if you produce the results, um, you know, the rewards will come. So, again, yeah, lots of different pools of equity, uh, there's a lot of money that's been printed in the world of late um, that's powering a lot of things and everyone's you know, saved a lot of money. And, um, you know, I was reading a, an article in the paper today about a lot of the millennials in Australia you know, can't see themselves buying a house, so they've gone big time into hunting shares and you're seeing this wave of new money coming into the, the stock market as well um, that's, that's pretty keen on, on shareholding. So, you know, it, it is... I think back to one of the original comments, it's a volatile world in which we live in both where capital's coming from, where it's getting allocated to, um, and it's trying to navigate your way through the ever-changing environment. But, but how, much, how much does this narrative 
like I said, you've you've got your money. You're you're you know in construction. It's it's fine. And Milan, you you know you say you found it easier to raise money in, in in Europe. But how much of this ESG narrative is changing the way that mining companies actually behave, or is it just a rebadging of something that's always been there? In, in your in your opinion, Dave. Well, I think to be quite honest, mining mining companies, Matt, sorry, have always been conscious of the environment and being energy efficient. We are a lot more heightened now about going the next level uh, because if you go to the next level, we'll demonstrate that, that you can uh, you know, reduce your carbon footprint, increase your energy efficiency, look after your water, be, be I, guess, I guess, more responsive to your community potentially, although I think we always have been because we can't operate in communities if we're not. Then you document it in a way where 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 proxy advisors and and funds uh, uh, meets their sort of tick box criteria, in, and reality on the ground, you will get a deeper pool of money. There's no doubt about it. Particularly general and, and some specialist funds that that won't invest in companies that aren't showing a clear path to behaving that way going into the future. So I think it's a it's a positive outcome. By the way, I don't think there's anything negative about it. Uh, it's just that it's also sending some signaling out there where companies are trying to put signals about what they're doing when they're not actually doing it. That That's the unfortunate thing. I mean, you've got to actually do things on the ground to be that and, and not just document it. So how do you, how do you guys, like a, a producer, a soon-to-be producer, compete with projects around the world? Because, you know, there's an internationalization of investing. Aussies can invest in Europe and North America quite easily now from their phone. And the reverse is, is, is true. When you've got Canadians talking about cheap hydroelectricity, which is obviously, uh, you know, it, the cheap is good, but also the fact that it's very, very green. You and you guys in Western Australia, you've got lots of sunshine, not a lot of water. So, you know, it, how, do, how do you tell your version of, of the kind of zero carbon or the, the green energy story? Maybe I'll jump in on that one in that. Um I agree with Milan is that uh, mining companies have always been conscious of not just the environment, but all of these things we're talking about are input costs as well. If you can get cheaper power, use less water, use less reagents, be better in the community, they're things that we've always done. And I think the ESG is a way of standardising and and making sure people report on it. So if there are people out there not doing the right thing, it's it's pretty obvious. But... um, I think the you know we're putting in solar farms, we're putting in batteries, we've got gen sets that can handle um, hydrogen. All of that is ongoing, and you know, at the end of the day, maybe it's slightly the cynic in me, but there's people are looking for a return on their money, and ESG might drive some people one way or the other. If they've got two equal projects, they might look at the ESG and say, "Well, I'll put my money into." This one rather than that. But at the end of the day, uh, it's all about making money for your shareholders. They want to see a return. They just want to see a return done in the best way possible uh, under the ESG guys. And yes, there's definitely greater pools out there, but at the more junior end of the market, I'm not sure it's as important as the bigger companies, you know, when they're dealing with the, the multinationals and, and whatnot, the, the really big funds. Uh, are perhaps more driven that than the intermediate funds that, that invest in the more junior um, mining space. It, it's interesting you say that 
you know, I, I kind of give an example of a conversation. We, we, we did a survey la- last year, and I think that other people have too, with regards to how much um, money people would be prepared to pay for renewable energy versus conventional energy. And I think it's overwhelmingly, yes, not a problem with that. Uh, definitely would pay more. And then this this year, when we've sort of seen energy, a bit of an energy crisis and supply issues uh, and prices going up four times, of course, not so good. People people are revolting against that and, and, and don't like it. So what, what people say and what people do, I'm interested that you would, would position it like that, given the amount of conversation that's going on in the, in the marketplace. You think at the end of the day, investors want to make money and that's going to be the key driver. Is that what you just said? Yeah. ESG is important, but they want to make money. Yeah. But your point, man, look, you can have the cheapest, greenest power anywhere in the world. There's two things you need there. You, a, you need a project near that power. to be So the project starts first in the location, then the availability of power. Uh, the other thing is larger companies with, with basin-style size assets can, can expense capital, power capital, over 20, 25 years and access export finance and, and, and finance that go, where you can then lower power down to compete with the hydro pro- projects in Siberia and Canada. I mean, Siberia is the same. Russia generates power at four cents US. That's why they can use pressure vessels very cheaply on the coast. We, we, ours is somewhat longer. Now, there are things in WA, like for, for where we are, if you've got a long enough project and you can you can expense it, you know, we have wind that, that blows on either side of the day and sunshine during the day and only a small period at night where, in fact, the nature doesn't generate power. But to go down that path, you have to be very careful that you're going to make money out of it and you're doing it for the right reasons. And, and even, even if you put capital in for that, which you, you might be able to do after you do all the studies, the maximum penetration of, of, of that power is maximum 50%. Uh, you still need your gas base load in remote WA. And luckily, we've got a pipeline that goes past that door. We, but it does lower your carbon footprint. It not only lowers your carbon footprint, it gives you a hedge against hydrocarbon costs, which are going up at the moment, right? So, in fact, doing it is not just a question of, uh, of, of, uh, of green. It's a question of also economics and, and having a long-dated power to make a long-dated capital decision for your, for your expansions or processing facilities or whatever. So, Mike, we, we've been talking about zero carbon initiatives and you know that that, that whole narrative. It, for project generators, are you ESG? Uh, are you zero ESG in the sense that it doesn't really affect you? No, not really. Um, I've had, I have had a couple of questions from you know, various funds that you know I've done presentations to um, you know, during conferences over the last twelve months. You know, for the first time, asking me, you know, what are you doing on on that particular front? And um, you know, so it's something that's it's hard for a junior company to do. Uh, but I mean, our main our main footprint is diesel, you know. So it's not a you know, and uh, you know, petrol in the jewel rigs and petrol in the four wheel drives, etc. You know, so really the footprint that we have is really small. But we, you know, I mean, impact supports community, uh, you know, community projects in the in the um, in the communities we work in. We sponsor. Um, uh, a um, after-school arts and writing project in uh, New South Wales, which is predominantly for uh, Aboriginal, uh, disadvantaged Aboriginal children. And I've done so for sort of four or five years. And, and like the guy said, that, wasn't, that was driven by the fact we were working in the community well before it became trendy to do those sort of things. 
And, uh, you know, so, and you'll find that most of us, you know, most unis are doing something small in the various communities that they're working in as a, you know, as a, as a contribution you know, back to the societies we're working in. Interesting, interesting. And Dave, just um, just on this, I, I kind of want to sort of move towards a kind of conclusion here because you know you, you guys are in control of your projects in in, in your uh, necessary and, and different ways. But Dave, when you look back at you know the way the market has behaved, and it feels like it's behaved differently from from the past. There are slight, there's a new set of rules. Uh, it seems or slight change. What have you learned? And how's that affecting the way that you kind of move the, the company forward? Or you just think, well, I'm just applying the same old rules as, as before. I'm not getting, going to get caught up in this maybe temporary transitory narrative. What have you learned? Look, I think a lot of it is the same, same old rules, which is deliver on what you say, produce the results and it will happen. I think the changes are the communication methods and styles and how you do that you know we're very active on on social media putting up posts you know two three times a week of what's happening on site so people can you know enjoy the the journey with us and and understand what we're doing and hopefully understand a bit more about the project so the style of communication has changed i think one of the things i mean it's uh, milan in london i mean i don't know the last time i saw a ceo or md from Perth overseas or outside Western Australia who managed to escape. And, um, you know, I think Zoom meetings, uh, you know, will be there for 70, 80% of calls. You'll still need to get out. You'll still need to have face-to-face. All of that will be there. But just the methods of communication um, with shareholders, both institutional retail, I think, have changed in the last couple of years, and and that will stay. Uh, I don't see that. But I think the fundamental drivers of your company and value is results driven. Right. Milan? Look, there's no doubt that communication methods that we were used to in the past with press releases and a guy have changed. So social media is a much bigger part of getting your message, not just externally, but internally as well. And it's also the way you communicated to get the attention of people in a shorter sound bites to a large extent, uh, but with the story clear. Uh, but as Dave said, 100% agree, you know, quality minds are built on quality geology, quality execution and delivery, and then you get your rewards when the cycle is in your favour uh, or you're producing cash flow. Um, so when you do all that and you're in the right space, you'll have high values. When the market goes sideways, you'll have low values, but you'll get support in the market. And I believe uh, every company will get that now. In the short term, you know, like now where you've got lots of companies drilling, lots of tech stocks, lots of lots of growth stories that promise without having to show a path to delivery, getting a higher value than companies like mine and Dave's, people get a bit despondent, but the, the, the rules haven't changed. You know, your, your business still has to be built on fundamentals and, and deliverables. Does that frustrate you somewhat, Milan? Because you, you, we talked, someone mentioned, you know, about the last 20 years. Does the behavior of the market just repeat? It's destined to repeat in terms of the human psychology of how they react. That, you know, we talk about the Lassonde curve and uh, yet in the same breath, we talk, we, we, we talk um, to people about, you know, be contrarian in your investing. All these messages are very confusing and conflicting at, at times, but the behavior is always the same. Does that frustrate you? 
Yeah, yeah. Look, markets are driven by liquidity, and liquidity is driven by greed and fear. That's a well-proven fact. There's enough research done on that. That's the human behavior of investment. Right now, greed is driving the markets with a bit of fear starting to kick in. Uh, a fear is uh, three times the driver of greed when it kicks in. It can be a devastating impact on markets when it happens. But that's what that's that's how people invest. It's on sentiment. Fundamentals eventually always kick in. They're the underlying factor, and they'll come back to the fore and, and be real. But when markets are driven by liquidity and sentiment, there's no fundamentals associated with that. Yeah, and I guess there's another conversation to be had about how many people actually end up making money or, or certainly um, not losing money uh, in that. And Mike, what, what, what about you? What, what, what are your key learnings over this period? Because you know, you, you guys have it tough from from the beginning to try and st- you know get interest and stimulate interest. But once you've got a few things under your belt, people start being a little bit more interested, don't, don't they? And does social media help you guys? Yeah, no, look, it certainly does. And uh, and we've certainly increased our footprint. And uh, as I mentioned, I've been a little bit loath in our, in our space because you know, failure is more common than anything else. You just open yourself to, you know, to just being lambasted and, and uh, you know, and trolled. And so uh, I've been a little bit loath to sort of go too far down that, to, you know, too far down that route to be too accessible. Um, but that's that's more just to guard our own, you know, our own sort of well-being. But uh, certainly, when, as, as the story develops and, and we get a discovery, it's a great time to be spreading that message, you know, on social media. And uh, I'll be making guest appearances on on Hot Copper. <laughs> Whether you want to be there or not. Uh, okay, well, guys, why don't we wrap up? And uh, Mike, I'll, I'll just start with you. Just give us. Uh, so, actually, Dave, I'll start with you. Um, let's just give people some of those moments to look for in twenty twenty two, as far as your company is concerned. Uh, biggest one for us, pouring gold, second quarter, calibre quarter of next year, um, expiration rigs turning later this year, so we'll have results. Same time, we'll be putting out a feasibility for expanding to 130,000 ounces per annum, um, so we can push the button on that once we, we sort of bed down the, the first stage of Warrawoona and, and then uh, the sky's the limit thereafter. Time for a rewrite. Milan, what about you? Yeah, look, our, our deliverables in the next... You know, 12 months are pretty clear. The, the fourfold, you know, we need to commission the concentrator, deliver commercial production at our, at our state of production, you know, rate at 120,000 ounces by the middle of next year. We need to deliver a feasibility study for expansion to double that size. And we need to maintain our aggressive discovery and uh, drilling reserve development and resource conversion, which is really a, quite a big driver for the company. We, we see this asset being a lot bigger than what we're scratching at the moment. And it's trying to reveal its size while we're trying to build a meaningful business in the process. Okay, and Mike, you've just done a deal, but were you expecting more of that? Uh, certainly looking for uh, more deals and uh, various uh, discussions in place. But look, the big news will be start of our drill program on the Dunia Gold project between now and Christmas. My theme this year was, uh, you know, rolls of the dice for the big win. And uh, this is uh, our last roll of the dice for a year. For the year, but uh, certainly 2022. Keep your eye out on our wheat belt projects here in WA, sort of in, in the same terrain as the Judamata discovery. We've got some really exciting early stage uh, anomalies there that we're going to be following up, and uh, yeah, I think we're in for a big year next year for uh, for impact. Fantastic. Well, look, gentlemen, we'll wrap it up there because we've taken up enough of your time. I really appreciate that. Some real new insights for me there, uh, and and some you know some topics which I, I guess much discussed and much debated. Uh, we'll stay in touch with you in 2022. See how your stories develop. Uh, appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.